0: Welcome to once more with commentary, a Buffy and Angel podcast. I'm Allie, and I'm Ginny. And today we're talking about the replacement and on Angel first impressions. Yes, it's a good couple episodes, I think. They were good. Yeah. As as usual,
1: I want to ask you like how your week was, except. I mean, we always talk a little bit before we record. We've literally been talking for 45 minutes. <laughs> so um, I know how your week's are going.
0: My week was um, trash, okay? Okay, no. fair enough. <laughs> no, like we were talking about, like, you know, it was the 4th, and that kind of, like, when it falls on a Wednesday, that's just, like, the worst it's thing to ever happen. It's work
1: week, yeah. Um, so you couldn't very, get anything done, but you also still had to go in. Like, it was like we may as well just scrap the whole
0: week. I had to go in at 8 a.m. the day after the oh, holiday. Oh, right. I, and I did not, yeah. like, appropriately... Plan. plan my day on the fourth for that. <laughs> it was it was a rough day. <laughs> yeah. Because the problem is like this meeting we have is like with people in like London and Boston and Yeah. First of all, the people in London aren't even celebrating a holiday. And then right. the people in Boston, <laughs> it's like eleven AM. So like nobody considered that this was gonna be like a rude awakening for us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I like walked in, I was like, Oh god. <laughs> That's really funny. I survived. So: How was your week?
1: I mean, the week was not great. Other than, I mean, the fourth was fun, but the rest of it was iffy. Um, but my yesterday was very productive. I mean, we move, we're getting rid of some bookshelves that are in our bedroom, and we moved some other ones from the living room into the bedroom, and I'm just like, I'm really happy with they look better in here than the other ones did. And we got rid of like we have a lot of stuff packed away to like donate or get rid of. Um, And I cleaned out our closet and reorganized it, so it just, like, I I record in our bedroom, so I'm sitting here now, I'm like, ah, it looks really nice. I'm not sure how well it's going to function, because we haven't gone, you know, like, I reorganized the closet in a way that I think is, like, yeah,
0: this is better, but, like, once you start using it, who knows? Um, But right now, it looks really good. That's the problem with organization, is sometimes the thing that looks the best isn't the thing that functions the best. yeah. I think it's better than it was but again well I can update you next week how it's worn I'll be waiting impatiently to hear okay
1: but it was also really cute so we're cat sitting still and um <laughs> just I mean Ollie was uh, upset I think that we were causing a lot of ruckus I also stepped on his tail yesterday while I was Aww. moving around I felt really bad about it um he really gets underfoot though it was my fault but he like literally follows you at your feet Ugh. anyway
0: um and then we are like attention yeah we were no not at all <laughs> we pet him all the time no um, i mean in his, anyway. in his real life he's got two parents who are doctors so oh not yeah not that they don't pay attention to him but you know what i mean like probably he's like wow there's people here all the time
1: yeah but as we were moving the bookshelves from room to room and like clearing them and stuff he was Having a lot of fun using them like a new little gymnasium. He was like, "Oh, great! More things for me to jump on." Also, you say he's he's really bad at jumping. Yeah, he's also not very good at jumping on things. It's pretty funny. I keep seeing him like miss like pretty small jumps, (laughs) (laughs) or at least like he gets it, but like just barely. (laughs) Like,
0: oh, okay. Oh, that sounds so cute. When are you going to get your own cat?
1: I don't know. We'll have to see.
0: Has this convinced you that you think you want one? Medium you know? Oh, really? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, but
1: I feel like part of it is that we've been sick for the whole first week that we had him. And so I feel like, oh, I'm miserable with a cat around, but I think it's, you know, a sickness is not the same as allergies, but it's hard to feel like, like I feel like he's not a sickness. No, it definitely was. (laughs) I don't think allergies give you a fever. (laughs) That's true. Most of the time.
0: It's a good indication.
1: Yeah. Anyway, let's talk about Buffy.
0: Let's do that.
1: Now that we've been talking for so long, it's getting warmer in my room. <laughs>
0: well, that's <laughs> like, on you. You know,
1: Normally, I cool it <laughs> off, and then it like lasts till like about the end of our recording session. But now that we've spent a recording session just talking, it's like hot in here. <laughs> well,
0: uh, I'll take the blame.
1: No, that was both of us.
0: Yeah. Uh, well, we were both mm-hmm. chatty. It's true. I don't okay. know why it feels like. I mean, I talked to you a week ago, but it. Feels I know like, it does feel like, like it's a been wild. a long time. Yeah. Anyway, stumbling into Buffy. Um, yeah. The Replacement, Uh, Mm -hmm. a.k.a. the episode with Xander's twin. Yes. (laughs) Uh, It's a fun game to try to pick out which is which. And then I came to the conclusion that they only used his his brother, like, Mm -hmm. in the scenes when they were, like, side by side. Yes, and And that's true. most of the dialogue scenes were still um, Nicholas Brendan. Nicholas Brendan. Brendan. Yeah. That's
1: accurate according to what I read on the internet.
0: Cool, I picked that out myself. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Well, as a twin, I have a knack for telling twins' I see. Yes, yes. (laughs) i'm an expert if you will <laughs> um although they look a lot alike they I have do to say.
1: yeah <laughs> you and claire could never pull that off
0: no never <laughs> okay but this episode we see a demon who wants to as they all do take some action against the slayer i mean there's like other stuff going on but the big thing is that he encounters the gang in the um at the local dump which i forget why they're at the local dump do you know Mm, no, no i remember now wow i'm doing a horrible job okay i like <laughs> just watch this too let's rewind giles gets attacked in the magic box oh, by right, this duh. demon and yes. fends him off with a fertility idol but the demon runs away because he's looking for the slayer mm-hmm. and then again i forget why they're at the dump but hey <laughs> something this that, demon. yeah there was knows. something to do with it yeah somebody fill us in are they and looking then, for spike I don't, know, I don't think they were looking for spike but they mm. found spike there yeah. Spike is just looking for trash. And um <laughs> this demon encounters the gang and he like shoots his little magic Weapon. wand thingy mm-hmm. and Xander actually gets hit. And so, you know, he's kind of stunned. They pick him up and they they go off and turns out Xander's still there. Mm-hmm. So this demon, he kind of disappears by the wayside and and the whole time Xander is trying to get this apartment because his basement living with his parents fighting upstairs and the urine on the hot plate and all this stuff it's becoming a little bit cat urine on the hot hot plate
1: let's be a little more specific
0: (laughs) (laughs) it's becoming unlivable and Anya's over it and you know Xander's over it too Mm -hmm. and so he wants to get this apartment but you know he's confronted with things like you know, grown up things like a first and last month rent payment, a credit check and all this stuff. So he kind of panics a little bit, but we see him the next morning, wake up at the dump and he goes home and he sees himself in his basement apartment, but Mm -hmm. you know, he's like shaving, he's putting on his khakis and his business shirt. And then he goes to work and he gets a promotion and he eventually gets the apartment mm-hmm. and all this stuff. And Xander feels like there's some demon or robot thing that's like stolen his life and he's not cool with that. <laughs> so he goes to Willow for help and, you know, has to do a Snoopy dance to convince her that it's him. And Willow runs to Buffy and tells her about this. But the other Xander, meanwhile, has gone to Buffy and mm-hmm. told her the same thing.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And so they realize that it's Toth, this demon, who instead of doing what he meant to do and split Buffy in half has in fact split Xander in half Mm -hmm. um, because his goal was to isolate the different parts of the Slayer into her Buffy self and her Slayer self Mm -hmm. and then take out the Buffy part to kill the Slayer. So they go to Xander's apartment. You know, the two Xanders are fighting because they each think the other is some sort of demon or robot or whatever. And they explain what's going on. So they put the Xanders back together and everything's good. Buffy kills Toth. That's that. But in, I think this episode is also interesting for the stuff going on in the background. Okay. Where we see Riley, you know, constantly upset that Buffy's in danger. We see some interactions between Buffy and Riley that indicate everything's as, all okay. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the episode, they're all helping Xander move out <clears throat> of his basement apartment. And Riley tells Xander, you know, like... Anya's very clearly into him for his, you know, all parts of him, right? Like, she's right. very into both Xanders. Right. And, and Riley says, you know, that's a really good thing because, you know, Buffy doesn't love him.
1: Right. Oof.
0: And, psh, that yeah.
1: gets yeah. there, so we're,
0: yeah. Um, but I think it's interesting to end on that note because the entire episode from the outside, you it, kind look, of see the opposite of yeah. that. Yeah. But then there's that scene in the car where Riley tells Buffy that he's in love with her. Yeah. And Buffy doesn't really say anything. Yeah. So we can kind of see how Riley's coming to that conclusion. Yeah. But let's talk about the Xander stuff. Okay because I think this is a really good episode for Xander. It is. And it's like, yeah, nothing.
1: He didn't do anything objectionable, <laughs> which is like, a, exactly. a you know, they don't always manage that. So that's good. And I do think it's a nice like, he, you know, like we talked about at the end of season four, like this it has been kind of his big challenge personally is becoming an adult, you know, and figuring out what he wants to do because he didn't take the go to college route and he isn't a superhero with, you know, kind of like, bigger obligations, um, at least not as much as everyone else in his group. Uh, so yeah, I mean, he's really been struggling with all this stuff and I actually did find it really satisfying to see him by the end of this episode, like accomplish something, you know, as much as it's like, he frustrates me and I get mad at him, but I think that it, it's nice. It's nice to see him take these steps, even if it has to happen in a supernatural way, which like, of course it does. Cause it's Buffy.
0: <laughs> right. I mean, we see him be self-aware enough to call out the fact that, like, he is usually the one getting saved or Mm -hmm. injured. You know, Buffy comes in with being the Slayer, and Willow's helping out with spells, and Xander's just kind of there, you know? You know, he's not contributing in the same way. And this is kind of, I think you're right, like, a nice moment of, like, I think at the end he doesn't really contribute in one of those ways, Mm -hmm. but... He does kind of prove that, at least personally in his own life, he can take some steps to be better.
1: Yeah. And I mean, and it's like, there's kind of no, like, it's just sort of this really nice conceit, which is that he always had this version of himself in himself the whole time. I don't know. Like, I guess it's sort of cheesy, but I, because it plays out in this like kind of zany, really comical. And like I said, like a really supernatural way, it feels less cliche to say like it was in you the whole time because like we get to literally see it depicted as its own separate thing but yeah right like Like,
0: you know this confident smooth xander that they're all marveling at Mm -hmm. like in fact is revealed to be a part of xander Mm -hmm. and so in some ways it's easy for him to believe that he can be that because he sees it with his own eyes like that that's supposed to be really him and he's behaving this way and so then you know Xander at the end of the episode is maybe fractionally more confident and mm-hmm. more grown up and capable than he was at the beginning of the episode because he's seen himself do it already. Right. Which is not a luxury that the rest of us get. It's very
1: Harry Potter and the Patronus.
0: <laughs> a little bit. He knows yeah. he can do
1: it because he's seen himself do it.
0: <laughs> exactly.
1: And no time travel though. What I do think is not surprising but you know notable is that so throughout this episode Basically, the episode sticks with one of the Xander's points of view, right? We see sort of sloppy Xander. It's told from his perspective. So as viewers, the first time you see this, you're thinking that he's the real Xander and that the other one is the imposter. But it's definitely interesting that they choose to show us that from sloppy Xander's perspective because if they had followed the other Xander along, you know, we wouldn't have maybe believed it so easily. Right. So like, yeah, these are both parts of him, but certainly one of them has maybe... uh, uh, gained some ground on the other, right?
0: And also, I think that's playing off the idea of, like, when you see a super confident, suave version of someone. Mm-hmm.
1: It's often in pop
0: culture, it's, like, the evil one.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. This is also kind of just playing on that notion.
0: So I think it's, like, playing on our preconceived ideas about that. But also, like, you know, you could <laughs> argue that Sloppy Xander isn't that different from... Real Xander. Normal Xander. Exactly.
1: Whereas, like, that didn't feel like too much of a stretch. Although, again, knowing the... Having now... Uh, who knows how many times I've seen this episode. It is definitely obvious that they're, like, going to lengths to make him look a little sloppier than normal. He's, like, dirtier than he normally is, you know. He's, like, he's, like, tripping like, everywhere. Yeah, he's, like, the least... He's not, definitely Xander on his worst day. Not necessarily Xander every day. Right. Um Even if it's not a stretch to believe that that's him. Well,
0: um, maybe that's what it is. Like, that's, you know xander on his worst day and xander mm-hmm. on his best day and like every day is kind of some middle ground of the two right so because i think it's interesting that the other xander the like put together xander is also the one that seems to retain some of the military training <laughs> so,
1: <laughs> wait why do you think that
0: just the way he like dismantles the gun i don't know like he's just very capable and sure of himself and like maybe some of that you know since they love to argue that xander has that in him mm-hmm. like i just thought that was funny like, yeah yeah I think it's sweet, though, that Anya is just pretty much on board with either Xander. It's like, true. She, she just wants Xander to, well, she wants him to get a nice apartment so that she can not stop spending time in his mom's right. drab basement. But but Anya's not like, she's not showing a preference for one or the other. Like, she really can't tell which one is real. The, the real Xander. True. And I think that's not, a. I don't think that's a ding on Anya. I think it's just an indi- indication that they're right. both the real Xander and that she doesn't really feel like she wants to choose. And then we see her weird deviation to like, yeah. wanting to take them home and like of play course. with them. But I mean, I she does be Anya.
1: Yeah. She's also particularly interested in his physical form. <laughs> I think True. she's said that a lot, but yeah, I, I think the other reason that I liked <laughs> this episode is because I really genuinely liked the scene between Willow and Xander. Where he's yes. pro- proving to her that he's the real Xander and he just has to go through this list of, of memories that they've shared and times, you know, things that only he would know, which is, like, obviously the traditional way that you prove yourself to someone. Um, but, like, every single one of them was, like, something sweet and as much as they allude to, you know, Xander and Willow having been friends for such a long time, I don't actually feel like there's that many instances when they really reflect on that.
0: Not anymore. I, I, yeah, like, I was gonna say maybe in season a long time one, but since they called it's,
1: that out. Even then, I felt like it was less, like, I, I feel like this is the first time we've heard all the memories that they've shared together. You know what I mean? Whereas like before it was just like, oh, I've known you since fifth grade, which is different than saying, remember in fifth grade when blah, blah, blah. I feel like it's been more the former, not to say that they've never talked about a shared memory, but I just mean, I, I, I just, just felt, this just, just felt really nice and genuine. And I really thought every story was cute. I'm like the Snoopy dance is adorable. Like I, I am I'm not immune to that, those charms.
0: <laughs> it is, but I also actually thought the Snoopy dance was a nice callback in that yeah. we, then we know that Xander's telling the truth True. because they've We've alluded before mm-hmm. to Xander spending Christmas mm-hmm. or at least some of those Christmas times with Willow or Willow going over to Xander's to watch Charlie Brown Christmas because her parents are, like, obviously Jewish and don't want any introduction of Christmas into their house. Like, yeah. they've mentioned before that she goes over and watches Charlie Brown Christmas with yeah. Xander. Yeah, So it's a nice callback yeah. to be like, oh, yeah, that is, like, the correct person for him to go to. Yeah.
1: Yeah, exactly. And I guess, I guess I'm saying this as, like, there's a lot of foreshadowing in this episode or at least things that we're going to see recur Um, I mean, and that scene is one of them, you know, there's a whole season conclusion that's going to end on him more or less doing the same thing. Um, So I guess I guess that's also part of why when you've seen the series in whole already, that scene is even more poignant because I know what that means a year from now, you know, for them, that they have these shared memories and that he cares about her and that she cares about him. I just it's just the sort of thing that they, you know, I just feel like the Xander and Willow closeness is something that they like, tell us about a lot rather than show us a lot, you know, like, there's that that, that kind of theory of, like, well, you should show the audience, not tell them, and I feel like they more often lean on the the telling in a way that is, like, it it just doesn't make it feel as, I'm not as invested in it, and I just, yeah.
0: Well, especially because the focus in the last, you know, season has been, on their outside relationships, right? You know, yeah. like Xander and Anya and, yeah. and Tara. Yeah, that's and true. And so the Willow and Xander thing has kind of gotten a bit lost in that, and so... Well, and because of no, anything, like, we've...
1: And, and if anything, we've seen a lot of times that Xander has treated her badly, or that they've been, you know, been making mistakes together, not really having shared friendship. Yeah. So... Yeah, anyway, A-plus to that scene. I really liked it.
0: And also, Willow well, gets to
1: take a little jibe at him where he's like, see how you handle it when you have a twin? And she's like, I handled it fine. <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, also, too, I think that's a good point. I That made me laugh. But also, <laughs> like, it's a scene with Willow where Xander's vulnerable and he's not... Yeah, yeah. Gross Xander. Like, I... I think it was refreshing in this entire episode that he's not it really gross was. Xander. Yeah. Like, even when he's alluding yes. to his feelings for Buffy, he's not doing it in a gross way. He's, like, actually trying to play it down. Like, oh, never mind. Yeah, know?
1: and even when he's getting hit on by the apartment manager, it's like, he's not egging her on at all. You know, he's not-, not reveling in it. He's more or less oblivious to it. Or at least he's acting like he is, which is what he should be doing. So it was like, oh, everything about... I mean, granted, that was super mature Xander, but, like, still.
0: I, I also want to talk a little bit about Anya because... Yeah. <clears throat> I think this she's is a great a, episode She's having a crisis. <laughs> Both. Exactly. Comedically, this is a great episode for her, but mm-hmm. also she's coming to terms with her mortality. Yeah. Because. She was injured. Which is a nice through line of the last episode where, you know, she's attacked by Harmony's minions. Mm-hmm. And she's obviously still injured from that, but apparently it's put her in a bit of a crisis in terms of, I'm going to die. Yeah. Not tomorrow, but. <laughs> right, 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 right. <laughs> Which is not something that I think gets explored too much it's true. until later, but like they don't really spend a lot of time thinking about Anya's reality of having been a demon and then now being human. And it, yeah. it only gets played up for comedy, I think. I was just going to say, like yeah. never it's, the like actual like, emotional consequences of what that might be like for her. I was going to say, I think they cover it a little bit more in especially the next season, mm-hmm. but it never really gets the attention that I think it could have...
1: Yeah, no, exactly. And I'm, I'm saying it's a shame because there is, um, not a play on her mortality, but one dramatic episode with Anya in particular in season seven, right. Um, where I just feel like that episode is, is one of the only ones that I have a fond memory of in season seven or, or put a different way. It's one of the only episodes that I remember from season seven. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like it's, I, I think that one we'll see when we actually get to it. But I feel like there's like a heavy on Anya heavy episode where she and Buffy have to face off and it's really dramatic and tense. And the way that I think is, is like it's the story is part of her story that she's always deserved, or at least having some greater story to her than being comedic relief. I think it's something that she handles well, like as a character and as an actress. So it is kind of a shame that they don't maybe lean into that more, at least a few times, you know, because I think mm-hmm. it really is like I mean, or, or like there's that like we're going to see this season in the body when it's like when they give because they've set her up as this comedic relief and because she's just I guess just because Emma Caulfield plays her right. Like when she does kind of these not about faces, but like when she is being serious or when she is being dramatic, it's even more, you know, interesting and can and like, yeah. Interesting is not the right word, but it just I just I'm saying I
0: think it it, it lands a little bit heavier. Like, yeah I I think because she's mostly the comic relief when she's has real feelings or is feeling dramatic,
1: yeah. I feel like it punches the contrast a little is, bit harder. It
0: yeah. does.
1: And I understand not wanting to lean into that too much because then you you know, you kind of ruin the dynamic, but I just wish that they had mm-hmm. given her a few more opportunities. Cause even in this one, it's a nice illusion, but they don't spend that much time with her talking about it.
0: Right. I mean, and she's an interesting contrast to, like, maybe they would have covered it more if Angel were still on the show. Yeah. Because Anya's a really interesting contrast to Angel, where they both have memories of these atrocities that they've committed. Right. But Anya <clears throat> forever feels justified in hers and never apologizes for them, and mm-hmm. in fact, still is kind of reveling in, like, her, you know, evil genius. Yeah. In a way that is not really okay as a human, <laughs> yeah. but, like, gets sort of swept aside by everyone as just oh Anya being Anya but like you know whereas Angel suffers for what he's done it's an yeah. interesting thing because like theoretically being human Anya should have a soul and feel bad about these right. things and eventually they let her show a little bit of that but for the most part she's not at all apologetic about it's funny too though did.
1: because yeah because I'm definitely more so in the in the camp of like Anya is one of the I think I don't want to say philosophically but like From a modern lens, she's problematic in a lot of ways. Mostly in the way that the show treats her, not necessarily her character. Um, Yeah, and that basically they're a lot more forgiving to her, probably because she's a woman instead of a dude. And there's just a lot of inconsistencies with how they treat her. But that aside, it's interesting that you said she's um, unapologetic because actually putting it in those terms does make it feel a little bit more like she should feel bad about it, but it is also reasonable for her to accept or maybe it's like th- maybe, you know, Angel Angel's not exactly the height of mental health or like emotional health. And so him, you know, her saying when I was a demon, those were the rules and that is what I was supposed to be doing is maybe more justifiable than I give it credit for sometimes.
0: You know yeah, what I mean? Like actually, maybe it's healthier to not be beating yourself up all the time for something that you were supposed to be doing. But also, like, more, I mean, the
1: trick there again is that, like, she was human who got herself into this on purpose, sort of. But if yeah. you take that away from it, you know, demons being demons, it's a little bit like saying, oh, well, that lion is evil because it killed an antelope. But, like, that's what lions do, and that's how they survive. So there is kind of this element of, like, maybe she shouldn't feel apologetic for what she did when she was somebody else.
0: Right. Like, I think the. The more unforgivable stuff is maybe her trying to turn everything back around with willow yeah you know when she tried to have willow do that spell and she ended up you know but that was anya who had just turned right and f- so she's still in that demonic mode a little bit yeah. but i think the more she embraces the fact that she's human or accepts it like I think it's just, I think she's considering it as two different existences, right? I think so, So too.
1: And if anything, she is still helping them constantly in the way that, like, Angel is partially doing penance by assisting them and providing them with the intel that we need, and she's doing the exact same thing. You know, she often knows things that that they don't know or that would take them, you know, days or weeks of research, but she knows from living it. Um, So she is, I mean, she is using her knowledge to help them fight evil now, so...
0: Amy. And let's not forget that if not for Anya they would have never beat the mayor. True, so. True, true, true. true. Yeah.
1: Well, anyway, she's uh, is still an enigma and is a very big inconsistency I think in the show, but I wish we spent more time with her <laughs> mulling over her yeah. demonhood.
0: <laughs> do you want to talk more about the Buffy Riley stuff or should we save that for later episodes when it's No, I do want to talk I do want to talk about it because Do you think it
1: comes out of left field? Yeah, I was just going to say, I'm actually not sure where I how I feel about it because I know in the last season a lot, especially when I was like (laughs) realizing that I love Riley and that he's great. I was kind of like dreading the way that it's going to happen in season five. And I do feel like we're only on episode three and maybe they could have given us a little more time. I don't know. I genuinely don't know. There's definitely a part of me that feels like watching this. It didn't feel out. It didn't feel incorrect. Even if it felt like a little rushed. I think maybe part of that problem, too, is like not watching this in real time or realistically that like all TV shows kind of ask you to make a two to three month leap with their characters that like, well, we don't see them over the summer. <laughs> so now we just have to imagine that like, yeah, maybe things were great for a month and then they were OK for a month and now they're sort of on the decline for a month. But we didn't actually get to see that is kind of frustrating. But to it me. feels
0: a bit extreme for Riley to say she doesn't love me because <sighs> I think so know, too. We, had that, we see that conversation with them when, you know, Angel comes to town and. They, ha- they have to talk about, you know, him being there. But Buffy tells Riley that she's in love with him. And then we see them, you know, first episode being happy. And I think it, the indication or the implication is supposed to be, I think, from what we've seen in this episode, that Buffy delving more into yeah. she's Slayer getting, history mm-hmm. and all of that makes her maybe she's being a little bit more distant. Or distracted. Or it, it does appear like on the one hand you could say no they seem really happy in this episode Mm -hmm. because they're like making out in the corner or going off in the room and like Mm -hmm. you know whatever but it also kind of Mm -hmm. feels like maybe Buffy's going through the motions a little bit. It does feel like that. Or maybe I just think that because of what Riley says at the end but I think you could see either side like either this comes out of nowhere or no I can see why he might or why we're supposed to see him thinking that. I but, guess, but I guess the other thing... Outwardly, that- Buffy doesn't give him any indication that she doesn't love
1: him. Yeah. I think what is was also frustrating to me, though, is that in this episode, they also... In addition, I think... Well, in addition to having Riley kind of make these pronouncements and be observing something that may or may not be there, he is also starting to get really... Um, what's the word? Um like oddly paternalistic of her. That's not the right word, but you know what I mean? Like he's being overprotective of her in ways that are ugly. It's gross well, when he says he, when he starts kind of implying that he needs to be there to protect her or that if anybody comes after her, he's going to do something about it. That's very like, maybe he had a couple of those instincts when they very first started dating. I feel like we've had several episodes that covered them growing together and coming to terms with the fact that she doesn't need that no matter how strong he is. So it's like it's frustrating to kind of see him fall back into this weird kind of gross machismo mentality when I feel like that's not part of Riley. So like that's the part where I feel like they're sowing seeds to make us not like him. And it doesn't feel genuine. I don't think he would say those things.
0: The only thing that tracks with that for me is if, you know, like you said, like we've seen them have instances where Riley outright says he likes that she's strong Mm -hmm. and he's, loves that she's the slayer and capable and even in this episode he tells her that her being the slayer is one of the things he's in love with so that doesn't at all track with his attitude but i think if you then try to pair that with him saying she doesn't love me that's riley trying to like grasp
1: at straws hold on
0: even tighter a little bit i mean i do if i can control like the situation she's putting herself in i can control everything but again it all feels a little bit forced because it I does think, i just don't I think, think you're right there's like setting the seeds for later but like it's coming out of nowhere so it feels weird and bizarre and out of left field and also it makes me angry because i know why they're doing exactly. it. exactly i i guess it just i think if it had been just some
1: of these elements together i, I guess i am coming down on the side of yes this is too fast if he had said some made the offhand comment about her not being in love with him, I think I might've bought that, but pairing it with the rest of that stuff where they're sort of trying to take the steps to paint him in a bad light. Now I can just see all the strings, you know, where it's like, I think there is something there. And also realistically, like, of course that's going to play on Riley's insecurities of like formerly superhero powered with, you know, initiative drugs. And now he's less powerful and his girlfriend is pulling away. Like it, It's not the wrong story to tell, but they're just making these deep, the details that they're choosing are wrong, you know? Yeah. And it just, it It, just, it just really bugs me. Yeah. It it is bugging me where it's like, I just don't think he would say that. (laughs) I don't think that's the way he would do it. I think he would be saying, take me with you because he does want to prove that he's strong, but he wants to prove that he's strong to Buffy, not take care of her, you know?
0: Yeah. And also, you know, what kind of bugs me too is they're doing all of this and in the background we start to see Spike's behavior yeah, shift yeah. to be a little bit like yeah, a little bit yeah. more creepily like yeah. maybe his thing towards Buffy is not just violent like mm-hmm. you know like his, the way he's like caressing that doll that he makes is, yeah. and then we'll see where that goes of Like, course. and the fact that those are happening at the same time it's makes true. me think that yeah. the show thinks that Buffy can't have two men interested in her at once and mm-hmm. the only reason for that is for Buffy to choose one of them but I'm still not on board that at this point in time Buffy could ever look at Spike yeah. in any sort of viable way. Yeah. Nor no, should she I ever but yeah. I just I uh, all of it makes me angry because there's this yeah, thing in too. TV that I don't understand. Yeah. Oh we've where, talked about
1: this. Yeah.
0: Uh, where you can't you have to always in order to make room for the next love interest you have to make the previous one just a downright villain.
1: Yeah.
0: Or, or at least like change everything that was good about their character. Yeah. And I don't understand why you have to do that. Like, relationships fall apart for many reasons, not just because people suddenly become dicks. Right, right.
1: And especially because Riley is the most normal, like, their relationship is so, like, normal, you know? Like, the steps that they're going through and the fact that it would fall apart because, yeah, they're in college and those things don't always last. And, like, or, I mean, that's true at any stage in your life. It doesn't have to be college. But, like...
0: Why that they would just end because Riley's not, like, fulfilling his purpose in Sunnydale? Like, why can't they just, like, you know, and then he has to go away and they... Or is it because that's already the way they broke up uh, Buffy and Angel? I guess, though, but the difference is that I think he's not
1: wrong by the end, at least by the end of his run on the show, when he says that she doesn't love him, he's not wrong. So that could be the reason, you know, she doesn't have to stay in love with the same person forever. That doesn't mean that she never loved him or that it wasn't valid. And I think that that is again, kind of part of this like weird TV strings that they're, that they feel like they need to pull of like, well, we'll only believe that she doesn't love him if he starts doing terrible things, but that's not true. She, she could genuinely fall out of love with him, (laughs) you know, or, and it it could have everything to do with the fact that she's going through this huge moment of self-discovery where like, she's going to turn into a different person by the end of this season. And that's, sometimes that does make, mean that your relationships fall apart. So, like, there's so many valid reasons for them not to be together that would be very, very sad, but that wouldn't, they don't require Riley becoming a terrible person. I guess or they just don't want if, Buffy hero. what if he had hero. stuck
0: around and they had broken up because of the events of the next season? That would be True. completely believable, yeah. too.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah.
0: No. It's, so you're right. Now I'm all. I mean, now I'm all. Uh, pardon
1: the pun. Riled up about this.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I, and I don't appreciate we're, it. We're we're all riled up. So
1: I guess it's just yeah. that they don't want their hero of the show, Buffy, to look like she's the perpetrator. But like. I mean again, the oh, thing never. that we've noticed watching the show is that like Buffy is repeatedly the least emotionally mature of everybody and she does make those kinds of mistakes. So like it's fine. Also, it's not necessary it's not a mistake to not be in love with someone, you know? Like it sucks and sometimes it's not logical, but like it's totally valid for her to say at the end of the day this didn't work out and I don't want to string you along. So it doesn't make her a villain if she had just left him because she didn't love him anymore. So it's frustrating that they yeah. <laughs> well, Switching gears a little bit, another <laughs> little fun foreshadowing that was in this, in this episode is that when um, Sloppy Xander is talking to Willow about, like, who this other guy is, and, like, he talks about him being his evil twin, he suggests that he might be a robot. Uh-huh. I was like, oh, that's nice. Plant those seeds. That's a good kind of seed to plant. <laughs> Talk yeah. about robots that look exactly like someone before you introduced one.
0: <laughs> also foreshadowing, Joyce has a headache.
1: Yes. Oh, my God. Ugh. I didn't even notice that damn it.
0: <laughs> She's mentions having <sighs> headache. It's implied that it's because Buffy and Don are arguing. Yeah. But I think for for seeds planted. You're right. I did like that scene though. As like, I think there's
1: maybe zero times when Joyce has felt not genuine to me. And this was no exception. Like, she just like having her talk to her daughters that way. It was like, again, uh, my mom has said those exact words to my sister and I before. I was just like, yep, you're a mom, Joyce. You're very mom. Like
0: (laughs) also, I love the repeated callbacks to Buffy not being able to share. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Um, also a weird, but interesting detail
1: in this episode is that, uh, you mentioned, uh, one of the Xander clone or Xander pieces, uh, dismantling a gun, but also Anya has a gun. (laughs) Yes. it feels totally right, but it I is. a little... Yeah, of course she would. Also, maybe Xander. But also,
0: I think because one Anya would view that as a pragmatic choice, and also as someone with previous demonic powers. Yeah, she stuck feels in powerless. Like a frail human body. Of course, she has a gun. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, it, yeah. I guess I appreciate that they don't make guns a big part of the storyline for lots of reasons, but it is also like it would make sense <laughs> to talk about it more.
0: I don't know why they don't have guns with like wooden bullets in them that's true like that feels like if like with Buffy's marksmanship skills like Mm. just something she should do just walk around with a rifle and well she's happy with
1: her crossbow it's the same thing
0: I suppose they're harder to reload (coughs) yeah
1: maybe anyway I think it's
0: just because the show is supposed to show her fighting with like very primitive weapons
1: yeah I mean that is part of her thing that's just part of her it's, like, not a cause for her, but she just likes it more. You know, that's her preference. Fair enough.
0: Also, I think it works in that, you know, this is inherently a violent show, but it kind of goes under the radar a lot. Yeah, because it, it feels... And the ways when you notice it is because whenever they do introduce a gun... It's for it humans. so jarring. Yeah. It feels so violent. Like, you know, yeah. <clears throat> um, let's see, Darla bringing guns to her fight with Buffy and then the ghost gun and Jonathan, Jonathan. and, like, all of these things, like, Even in this scene, Xander pulling out a gun, it's jarring.
1: Yeah, it's true. I mean, and I think the show does kind of have, like, an anti-gun stance that I appreciate. And actually, the other, I mean, I guess the other real reason why it probably went down this path initially is because it doesn't kill vampires. So, like, yeah, of course the show has run way past vampires, especially by this point, but originally, if she's fighting vampires, like, a gun, other than one loaded with wooden bullets, isn't really going to get her that far when, like, one of the things that she needs to do is behead them. So, like, maybe she needs more axes. (laughs) Maybe. As she has, you know.
0: Yeah. The thing about axes is they're less inconspicuous. That's true. (laughs) Not if you're Cordelia. (laughs) Oh, on that note. (laughs)
1: Let's segue. (laughs) So, first impressions. In this episode, it opens up with Angel having this, like, I would say creepy dream sequence uh, with Darla, who we know is the weapon that Wolfram and Hart brought back at the end of season one. Um, So he's basically just having, like... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> What's uh, There's no clean way to say that. Uh, anyway, he's having sexy dreams about Darla. Um, he's having
0: sex dreams. Yeah, Just say that.
1: I wanted to say a different term, but I won't. Um, anyway, (laughs) so I'm going to make him sound more juvenile, (laughs) whatever. Wow. Uh, anyway, so Angel is having these dreams and one of the consequences of them is that he, or yeah, he's been sleeping a lot more maybe than he normally does. So him and the gang have moved into the hotel. They're cleaning it out. They're trying to establish it as their base of operations. So while Cordelia and Wesley are downstairs cleaning up the lobby, Gunn comes in and announces that he needs Angel, but they don't want to wake him up. Well, Cordelia and Wesley don't want to wake him up. Gunn wants them to wake him up because he's promised to help Gunn with this problem. There's some demon in town named Divac, um, and Angel's supposed to help him shake down somebody for information. Um, so Gunn kind of has a, you know, an uncomfortable and tense scene with Cordelia and Wesley. (laughs) I think since they've met, they haven't, you know, they haven't really gotten off on the right foot, any of them, um. But eventually Angel comes downstairs and they do go to this parking garage where he's supposed to meet with um, an informant. Um, And that guy ends up kind of running away and the uh, gang gets ambushed by some vampires. So they are able to defeat them, but not without taking some significant bruising. Um, And he doesn't get any of the information that he needed out of his informant. So they all go their separate ways. And while Cordelia is at home later that evening or the next day, she gets a vision and it's of gun. And so she decides to... She can't get a hold of Wesley or Angel, so she decides to just go find Gunn on her own. (laughs) She packs up her little axe that fits into her maybe oversized purse. (laughs) Um, And she goes looking for him using Angel's car. Um, She finds Gunn and goes in and instantly attacks this guy that he's fighting with, only to find out that it's another human (laughs) and that they're sparring, just practicing, because Gunn, of course, kind of has his own operations. (laughs) So she embarrasses him. He gets very annoyed, Um, He tells her to leave, but when she tries to leave, they find out that her car's been stolen. So for a lot of reasons, most of which he just wants to get rid of Cordelia as fast as possible, he decides to help her try and track down the stolen car because he does have connections with some guys that are car thieves, among other things, in that neighborhood. Um, So they basically go on their way. They're trying to hunt... You know, they're kind of following leads from place to place. They end up at this house party that gets attacked by vampires. One of Gunn's friends gets pretty severely wounded and they have to take her to the hospital. Um, And yeah, um, Gunn, you know, is just having a lot of issues (laughs) with how, whatever choices he seems to make, or if he lets down his guard, his friends get attacked or in the case of his sister, they die. Um, Angel and Wesley, by this point have kind of picked up the trail and they're trying to find the same demon that Gunn was going after. Eventually they all end up in a, (laughs) in the stolen, where the stolen car was in a garage somewhere where we meet the informant from earlier and he turns out to be the demon. So there, a big fight ensues. Of course, Angel and Wesley show up just in time to help Cordelia and Gunn get the upper hand. um, And they all go on their way, having now gotten Angel's stolen car back in addition to killing this demon um, who was maybe terrorizing Gunn's neighborhood. Um, And yeah. And at the end, Cordelia reveals that she she thought that she was going to save him from this encounter with a demon, but she realizes after they fight that that wasn't what her vision was about. It was warning her that gun is a danger to himself, because I think we have actually seen this demonstrated that he's pretty self-destructive or at least, you know, some version of that. So they kind of make amends by the end and he seems to have warmed up to Cordelia and maybe Wesley too a little bit by the end of it. And they all kind of part ways and Then, of course, at the end of the episode, Angel's having yet another dream about Darla, and we find out that they're not just dreams, that she's actually physically there in his bedroom. The end. Yep. (sighs) I mean, I don't love the Darla stuff. (laughs) I think for a a lot of reasons, it's just not totally striking the right tone. And mostly because it's creepy, you know, like, and I don't, as much as they want us to believe that, some part of Angel really wants this. I just don't feel like they've done enough groundwork to me for me to believe that this is a thing he would like fantasize about, you know? And that's not exactly what the story is, but it just I just Well, sort I think of, the
0: implication, hopefully, is that he's under some kind of spell. Right, because right. <clears throat> Angel and his view of Darla, he's not gonna be like running home to have sexy dreams about Darla. No. Like that was some that's something that would probably honestly like repulse him because he so associates her with his violent past that it's a little bit unbelievable that she's able to like get into his head in this way right and also comparing it to like where we saw her in the premiere and where we're gonna see her in the next few episodes yeah it's a little bit out of whack with that
1: but I guess that's the problem right is that you're saying that from Angel's point of view he still views Darla in this way which is bad but as a viewer I also view her that way. So it's hard for me to kind of take these scenes in quickly, I guess, is what I'm saying. Because I get it. I get that there's some sort of magic involved, but the way that Angel behaves and I think is going to behave, it just doesn't, it's just frustrating. (laughs) I don't necessarily not believe it. I just don't like it.
0: Um, Yeah. Like, in some ways you can kind of be like, okay, she's appealing to a super, super, super subconscious part of himself. Right, right. Hopefully, because aware Angel, I mean, but we yeah. don't really get a sense that when he wakes up, he's like especially bothered. Right. Like, it just seems right. like he's just tired.
1: Yeah. And he does seem to kind of be running back to to fall asleep so that he can have those encounters again.
0: Right. Which I don't believe. I, yeah. Do. I guess that's the part, right? Where like, no, I think
1: what he should be doing is trying to not sleep ever to avoid them. I think if he were doing yeah. that and then falling into these dreams, it would sit with me a little bit better.
0: Yeah, it does feel a little bit like he's choosing it, Mm -hmm. but I don't. That doesn't track at all. Yeah,
1: I agree. So I guess just getting that out of the way. (laughs) I pretty much like the rest of this episode. I think. I mean, I don't want to say that this is like a great episode of about race, but Angel definitely takes it on way more than Buffy ever does, and I appreciate that. And I think that they're sort of start off by painting Gunn in some stereotypical lights, but I do feel like they're also making it clear that, like, one of the reasons why Gunn is rude and doesn't get along with Wesley and, and Cordelia off the bat is because they're also not really treating him fairly. You know, he has valid reasons to be there. He's va- It's valid for him to say, hey, Angel, I've supported you a hundred times and this one time I asked you to be there for me, you're still sleeping. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I think all of his grievances are fair. And that he just feels uncomfortable around them I think isn't isn't unrealistic. So I guess, yeah. I I kind of, I appreciated the way that they sort of dovetailed these, like, he he feels uncomfortable, and he's not really maybe behaving super politely to them. But then when we see him later in his neighborhood with his own friends, he seems a lot more comfortable and, you know, genial in this way that it's like, it's not, he's not just some angry guy. He is, you know, he's uncomfortable with them, and they're not doing anything to really help.
0: No, and then we kind of see the flip side when Cordelia goes to that party with him and expects to be fine, and then she, and then that's like her first realization that, like, they live in different worlds entirely i mean and again yeah and she immediately like steps in it
1: yeah so yeah so i guess i guess i'm just saying that i i i don't know what i'm saying but i i think that they gave gun a kind of fair shake at least somewhat they do kind of initially it's like why is he so mean why is he so rude i'm like well (laughs) because you guys aren't treating him very well (laughs) you know
0: yeah and also I mean this is someone who's living in constant fear for his life so I know and I, did, I mean if he forgets the you know
1: niceties his yeah. manners
0: every now and then like I can forgive him for that
1: well and I guess um, again like yeah
0: thinking about the actual
1: to put yourself in gun shoes which is that not only does he live in a neighborhood that's like doesn't get police attention. He's clearly, you know, he's been raising himself for a long time. Him and his friends are very poor and they don't have resources or anyone who's going to step in to protect them from normal dangers of humans. Then also they live in a world in which monsters are real and are constantly attacking them as well. So it's like, well, you've got even double the reason to be on edge all the time
0: and like i i do well, and also the scene where Cordelia says, i'm going to gun's place and like she does but gun doesn't have a home yeah that's not a yeah, house not that she house. goes yeah. to that's like a subterranean like you know corridor right. or something yeah even that is an indication that like they don't truly understand or they haven't truly they put themselves yeah in i mean position. It, they haven't
1: also really asked him about himself you know like they know enough to kind of track him down but they don't really know Cordelia again Cordelia and Wes uh, Cordelia and Wesley don't they don't haven't really tried to get to know him at all and granted it hasn't been much occasion for that so like it's kind of fair but yeah I don't know I just like gun (laughs) and I appreciate the kind of like meeting of the minds that he and Cordelia have by the end of this which is like she is ultimately I believe Cordelia to be a really good person right and she that she's gonna put herself out there and try and protect Gunn from himself without knowing him that well, I think is also really sweet. And that just the fact that she's saying, you know, she does say things to him that he needs to hear. And part of it's because she has this vision, but I think part of it is because Cordelia's always been a really perceptive, like really perceptive on character with people. Mm -hmm. So it, it is even more fitting that she's kind of the one who says like, Hey, you're doing great things, but you need to watch out for yourself too. And she doesn't quite say it, but like also, yeah, you can't take care of anyone if you're not taking care of yourself. Cause if you end up dead, then... Then they're all, you know. Then it's all for naught,
0: or or then they have no one. They have no one left taking care of all these people that you feel responsible exactly. Yeah,
1: but I all again, I think they're really fair to Gunn in that, like, yeah, they call back to the very first episode where we met him, where he did let down his guard for one second, and his sister died, (laughs) It got turned into a vampire even, and he had to stake her. So like seeing, you know, kind of reliving that and watching his friend get attacked and injured. Yeah, I mean, I think it's not as though he's just being. Unreasonable and looking has a death wish. I think he really does genuinely think that this all falls on him, and that's what he needs to do.
0: Absolutely. I um. So I was thinking, watching this episode with, you know, we spend a little. This is clearly a gun episode. Mm -hmm. We spend a lot of time in his world, and I can never tell. First, I want to say one, as clunky as it can be, I appreciate Angel as a show at least attempting to address the fact that there are people of different races living in Southern California (laughs) because. Buffy never did, and which is absurd considering the geographic location of where. And, they the, were and the few to be times located. that they do,
1: they mostly eat it. You know, like it's mostly bad, <laughs> or only badly handled. Yeah,
0: but Angel, I I, and I, I can't tell if what they're trying to do with the whole gun storylines and like the world that he lives in, yeah, is if they're trying to take monsters and turn them into this metaphor, right, for like. <laughs> drugs and crime and all this stuff. But it's unclear because they all these kids are also dealing with like drugs and crime right, and like right. you know general neighborhood um like bad neighborhood issues. It's true. Yeah. But then they have monsters on top of it which feels incredibly unfair.
1: <laughs> I think that's what it is though. I don't feel like they're a metaphor for the other problems. I think they're an addition to the normal problems. Not normal, okay. but the uh, So it's know. just
0: like these these kids being like this is, like, one other thing you yeah, have to do. with. Yeah, I think, I think yeah. so. Okay. But I think for the, for I, the reason that tell, you said, because which I, is that these things
1: are existing alongside of each other, and I, I, maybe in the first episode with Gun, they might have... There are times... Mm, it wasn't Gun though. What was the one where... Oh, in the last episode when Angel said, like, stupid things to that... Um, woman in his like flashbacks about Uh, like yeah uh, yeah. then then he did try yeah try to kind of make some parallels that didn't totally land but in this one i didn't feel i didn't feel that way but i mean then again i could just be missing it Uh,
0: speaking of the last episode and then a little bit of this one i actually do like the at least lip service that they pay to the like idea like the preposterous idea that angel is going to buy a hotel
1: (laughs) yeah that's true
0: Like, I mean, we see their, um, you know, their their rich CEO Mm -hmm. friend come in and basically he's only there to give Angel a little bit of, like, financial advice. (laughs) But I actually really appreciated that scene because if Angel doesn't use the money that he found
1: to pay for the hotel,
0: then how is he going to pay for it? And it's a little bit absurd that he's going to buy the whole thing. And I think it's mostly for comedic relief to, like, have Cordelia be swooning over, like, another, like, nerdy guy. Mm-hmm. Like, she really needs to accept that she's got a type. It's but, true. <laughs> Which is also a little sad to me that they never really follow through on this guy's character. But, yeah. Like, I was trying to remember if this is the last time we see him. I, I think I don't he'll remember, be there but,
1: once or twice more.
0: Yeah. But, but I love just the, like, practicalities of, like, the absurdity of, like, them trying to move into this hotel and, like, run a business out of it mm-hmm. and, like... It's falling apart, it's expensive to buy, and they have to renovate it. Like, you know, dusting it isn't going to be enough.
1: Yeah, that's a good point.
0: <laughs> also, it's supposed to be this really nice old hotel, and that little area that they showed of, like, the valet looked like some motel. Like, I,
1: was like, <laughs> that- I don't know, though. I guess I just like gun. <laughs> yeah, and it's like, it is, it is clunky, it's not bucking... Every stereotype, which I mean, you know, maybe it doesn't need to. And I guess a lot of it could be better. But at the end of the day, I feel like they made a whole episode about Gun that I I like watching him. I like seeing where he's going to go. And I am happy to see him maybe get some friends, <laughs> have some part of his life that's not going to be so dour, I guess. I don't know. I'm just, I want him to be happy, I guess is what I'm trying to say. And like, if this is going to lend any, any happiness to him, then I'm for it.
0: And we do see him obviously over the course of the show gain a little bit of that. Mm -hmm. But what I do appreciate as clunky as it can be, I appreciate the show at least trying to give him a well-rounded backstory in a way that they never really did with Doyle. And in a way that they should have from the beginning like they spent too much time trying to make Doyle's past seem right. mysterious right right and that ultimately <laughs> yeah. didn't work yeah. and I appreciate from the get-go like we know where Gun, like this is a new character but we know where Gun comes from yeah. like his first episode was like all about him and a lot of episodes since where he's featured you know it's his world that they are stepping into yeah, yeah. and I appreciate that because you know we already have the backstory especially of Cordelia but a little bit of Wesley, too. Mm-hmm. Like, we know where they come from. We know why they're there. And and it does really feel, like, bizarre that Gunn would just walk in and immediately be on the team and everything would be okay. Right. And I actually kind of appreciate the show taking the time to make the transition awkward yeah, and uncomfortable. It feels more realistic. Like, Gunn isn't just going to show yeah. up one day and be like, cool, I'm full-time on your team. Like, he's got to naturally... Chart that course, I agree. And, and you and know his they all have to kind of earn their interaction. And his each other. his end goals are, or at least
1: right now, their goals are pretty different, right? Like he, I think he's. It's no secret that he's trying to provide protection for his friends, not save the world. So, like, I do think not to say that they're at odds. Obviously, they're not at odds. That's why they're working together at all. But like, I, yeah, I think it just it does need to be awkward. They're not working for the same things. They don't know the same people they have very different backgrounds. So yeah, I, I, I'm just, I just agree with you. I think that it, it's very fitting that it takes some time for them to warm up to each other. But I think it also, like I, I really did like the scene between him and Cordelia at the end because it felt really earned to me that he does see where her intentions and where her skills are. And he does respect her a little bit by the end. And I think she feels the same way, not to say that she didn't respect him exactly, but I do think that they're, yeah, it just felt like they were meeting in the middle a little bit in a way that was a, mostly appropriate. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. Um I also just really liked this <laughs> This is just from like a more like a cinematic point of view but um when they got caught in the garage and they got ambushed by vampires there's like this fight scene starts There's several things that I liked about it. Number 1, I love seeing Cordelia just roll into a fight now like seeing how much she's changed as a person is like she didn't hide for a second. She just like pulled out her axe and started going I'm sorry, not her axe at that point. She had a stake. Um, But that we don't see the whole fight scene play out and then it just pan over dust on the, like they cut to a pan over the um, floor Mm -hmm. and it was just covered in vamp dust. I was like, that's just such a cool, that's just fun. I just like when people are a little clever with the way they show you how, you know, how things have transpired without showing it exactly happening on screen. I was just like, that was Obviously that
0: was probably done for like, Of course, but it is like, we don't have to show vampires exploding, but but I think it has a better impact. And also,
1: I I mean, we've seen them fight vampires a million times. Like I don't necessarily need to see every single, you know, hand to hand (laughs) combat scene. So I just, I was just like, man, that was just a cool, cool choice.
0: Also, the only vampire that we see staked in that scene is by Cordelia. Mm, So mm -hmm. yeah, perhaps to her,
1: she was great. (laughs) I Mm -hmm. mean, she needs to, you know, check herself a little bit, but in general, she's just Yeah. Putting herself in really dangerous situations to try and save Gunn from something she doesn't totally understand for most of the episode. Right. And she did save his friend's life. And I also think it tracks that anybody from Sunnydale knows how to treat a neck wound. (laughs) For a little bit, I was like, where'd she learn that? I was like, well, they probably all know. (laughs) Granted, it wasn't a vampire attack, but it just, you know. She knows how to handle it as best as possible. Yeah.
0: (laughs) I'm trying to remember if she's been stabbed in the neck before, but I can't. I mean, she's been so. impaled
1: with rebar. Not the same.
0: True. Yeah. <laughs> true, true. <sighs> okay, well,
1: I guess I liked both of these episodes. Yeah, Obviously, we had qualms with things, but I thought they were good.
0: Yeah, but I will say, in general, Angel is like, miles above where it was. So much
1: better. Yeah, so, so much like better. So, like,
0: even if I'm not totally, like, this is the best episode ever, yeah. like, it's still watchable in a way that a lot of the first season just wasn't. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, so I am fully enjoying well, that. Well, and it, it feels more settled and, like, well-rounded and... Well, and they just also have know,
1: better characters. Because, like, you're saying, like, yeah, they didn't spend enough time setting up Doyle, but also Doyle sucked. <laughs> so, like, yeah, God, gun true. doesn't suck. So that they're able to spend time investing in in a whole episode about him is like, has a lot to do with the fact that he's much more watchful. <laughs> okay. Well, what do we have coming up next week?
0: Next week we have out of my head. Adam, yeah. Out, out of, of my mind. mind. I'm sorry. Out of my mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, where we get to meet glory.
1: Oh yeah. I don't exactly remember. I, I remember some of the beats.
0: Believe that's correct. I think you're
1: right. Okay. And then yeah. on angel, we have un- untouched could be about anything.
0: Okay. <laughs> No, I think I remember what that, that one's about. Mm, I don't. But I won't say it in case I'm wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Again, I've been like, you know, pulling all the photos for these. And so I'm like, oh, yeah, that, that, yeah. <laughs> like vague memories. But, you know, it's it's interesting to me how much of Angel I don't remember. Yeah. Like, I think I just haven't watched it, obviously, not as many times mm-hmm. through as Buffy, but also just not with the frequency. Yeah.
1: I mean, so, I also slept through a lot of Angel the first time. The yeah. only, the only time the I watched it. the last time
0: I watched Angel was, you know, eight years yeah. ago. So, mm. been a while. Been a while. Yeah. Um, <sighs> okay, do you have any pop culture this uh, week? I've
1: just been watching Steven Universe. Um, they finally are airing some new episodes. Um, a lot of Cartoon Network shows just end up in this weird airing schedule pattern where, like, I know that they've had the episodes done or prepped for a really long time, but they, I don't really understand. I've never taken the time to try and figure out their logic, but it's just like, there hasn't been an episode in months and now there's like an episode every night. <laughs> so it's just weird, but I've been catching up, but they've been really great. So if I haven't recommended Steven universe ever before, um, it's a, I probably have. Well, I assume so. I
0: don't remember. Okay. Well, is this
1: cartoon network cartoon uh, it's created by Rebecca Sugar, who worked on Adventure Time for a long time. Um, and it's just about this little boy, Steven. And his, well, he's not really little, but a little a kid, Steven and the Crystal Gems, who are these like aliens from another world that. Uh, well, it's hard to explain, but anyway, it's really, really sweet. I mean, it's probably it's not for everybody, but it's like much like Adventure Time. It's like sort of for kids, but has this like really from the get go has like a really deep lore you know, behind whatever the story they're kind of telling on the, on the face of it. And it just really leans into, um, emotions and love and sentiment a lot, but in ways that are like, I always think like, ugh, are they going to, you know, like, Oh, Steven's so sweet and he loves everybody. And like, I'm going to be over it, but like, it just almost always lands. And it's almost always like just about emotions and the the feelings that all the characters have among each other. And it just almost always pays off. In addition to then having this like really nerdy side of it where like you can really get into like, well, what's the, the background of the gems and what's the lore of their planets and why were they here? And like all that stuff has like there's lots of little um, what are they called? Like just basically little clues that they're always dropping in the background before they do like kind of bigger story arcs and reveals. And it's just always kind of choreographed, but in a way that's like fun to kind of hunt for if you want to. Anyway, but mostly it's just really, really, really sweet. And they sing songs that are adorable and beautiful.
0: And it's animated? Yeah, it's
1: animated. Um, cool. But yeah, but the last couple episodes have been really great. Uh, what about you?
0: I have, okay, I'm trying to remember if I have <laughs> recommended this before. I think I have, but I actually have a pop culture reversal. Oh,
1: interesting.
0: <laughs> I am un-recommending. Okay. <laughs> I think I remember, I recommended Anne with an E on Netflix. You Does did? Does that sound yep. familiar yep. to you? Because I said Anna Green Gables. Yeah I take it back. Okay.
1: (laughs) Did they put out new episodes or?
0: They did and I all my qualms about the first season were basically what they did was I think when I recommended it I had watched like two episodes so basically it was like a gritty retelling of Anna Green Gables which like for one I'm not sure we needed but but the but the initial intro to that was, like, basically what they did was they took, like, her backstory and made it seem a little bit more realistic. Like, in the books, they kind of gloss over the fact that she was an orphan for so long mm-hmm. and was living with unkind people and was basically unloved. And, like, what the show did was kind of show what the reality of that might look like. Okay sure like that makes sense to me that's a logical leap by the end of the first season Gilbert had been sent off to work on a ship like his dad died and he's like leaves Avonlea (laughs) to go and this is like a 13 year old boy goes off to like work on a ship and then these like grifters show up to the farm and like the ending is like a cliffhanger that's like really ominous Mm. so I kind of forgot about all that (laughs) and then the new episodes came out and immediately I was like what what is this like (laughs) I was so enraged like Gilbert spends half the season like traveling the high seas the grifters like there's this whole storyline with them and like it like none of it makes sense and it's like the whole point of Anna Green Gables is that it's this like cozy glimpse into like everyday life and like the drama and like the happiness and everything comes from, like, the small-scale triumphs of, like, everyday life. Like, you're not supposed to be introducing, like, crime and, like, (laughs) all of this stuff. And I don't know. It's like they were trying to, like, modernize it in a weird way. And by the end of this, I was like, I I cannot watch any more of this. Like, I don't understand, like, the people in the writer's room who are, like... This is what the people want. Like, yeah. <laughs> this is not the kind of Anna Green Gables adaptation <laughs> that anybody wants. Yeah. And I just don't understand it because there's so much story in the books mm-hmm. already. Why are they inventing new stuff? And I will say the only thing that I will recommend is there's a scene in the last episode of the season that is basically. An interpretation of like any like superhero shot where the team is like all coming together and they're like strutting down the street uh-huh. to like accomplish their mission and like these girls are in like you know night early ni- or late 19th century like dresses and pinafores mm-hmm. and the boys are you know in like just right. the juxtaposition of that with what they're doing that made me like burst out laughing because okay. it was fantastic but everything else about it I can't I just like reversal okay. I cannot in good conscience recommend that anybody watch this sorry if anybody watched it on <laughs> uh, my recommendation and was like what is she talking about because I think I recommended it fairly early into my viewing and I'm like angry at myself for watching the next season and I'll probably watch the next one because I can't help yeah. myself because <laughs> like there are little pockets of like things that I'm like this is why I love this so much but like the rest of it I just like want to like talk to whoever is running the show and be what like "Stop is your it. Deal? like just stop it <laughs> You don't have to do this. It's awful. So.
1: Okay. Good to know.
0: I promise I'm okay. I'll calm down. I just. It's (laughs) funny though because I think
1: when you recommended it, I had heard other people complaining about it, but they had gotten further than you were.
0: Yeah. Ugh. I've
1: never seen or read any Anna of Green Gables, so.
0: Well, I I recommend the books wholeheartedly, but I cannot recommend this show. Yeah. I take it back. (laughs) (laughs) Um, what team are you on this week?
1: I mean, there's some good options.
0: There really are. I'm
1: going to be, I guess just because I have so few opportunities, I'm going to be Team Xander.
0: Same. Okay. That was what I, I was going to say. This is probably one of the, the very few second choices instances. are Cordelia and
1: Gunn, because I think they both had a lot of great moments. But let's. I think I'll have plenty of times to side with them again in the future, whereas Xander, mm-hmm. maybe not Absolutely. so many times. So. Cool.
0: Okay. Got to take our good, good Xander Eps while
1: we can. <laughs> okay. Well, I'll talk to you next week.
0: All right, bye. bye. Once More with Commentary is produced by me, Allie. And me, Ginny.
1: Our theme music is from the album Rockingham by Nerf Herder.
0: And our podcast logo is by Ryan Cooney. You can email us at scoobies at oncemorewithcommentary.com with any feedback, questions, comments that you have. And find us on Twitter and Instagram at podcast.
1: You can also find our most recent episodes and any show notes at oncemorewithcommentary.com.